Welcome to Uncomfortable Is Okay, where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of your comfort zone, navigating challenge, and doing the hard things that make life worth living. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Uncomfortable Is Okay is brought to you by Health Mentors. Health Mentors is a performance well-being company that helps change makers dial in their health and improve their performance in the middle of a chaotic world. We offer one-on-one health mentoring services, as well as a range of workshops and workplace solutions, all the way up to supporting organizations with their well-being strategy. You can find out more at healthmentors.nz or get in contact with Chris at healthmentors.nz. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Tonight I am joined by Luke McFarlane. Luke and I go a long way back. We met a few weeks, eh? Yeah, met met in third form back at Thames High School in 1996, I think. You're pretty close. Yeah, around around about 97, yeah. Yeah, I was born in, what, 83? Yeah, sometime around then, mid nineties, <laughs> back when back when like everything was cool, even we, rollerblading. But we don't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't have rollerblades, not at all. And Luke is the reason that I wanted to have a chat with Luke is around the the mental health, mental well being space. He's a dude who we're here tonight has has had his. Has, 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 has had his own journey with with mental well-being, mental health, and and figuring it out for himself. And I think as he as he freely admits, he's he's still figuring it out, as am I. But wanted to to get him on to have a little bit of a chat. He's recently done something pretty cool with a whole lot of mates in this space. And we'll have a bit more of a talk about it soon. But Luke, first of all, mate, like welcome. Yes, bro. Good to see you. It's been a yeah, like we said, a few years. Man, you haven't aged a day. It's the it's the filter that I put on. Uh, it's the line oh, nice. that I've I got on. Quite figured it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'll give you some tips afterwards, bro. Mate, for the listeners, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I actually I went to six different schools. We moved over a few different regions and eventually settled at Thames for a couple of years. And that's where, obviously, we went to school together. And then, yeah, we went from there to Hamilton Boys and carried on. We're currently living in the beautiful Bay of Plenty, living the dream. We've got a beautiful wife and two young kids and, and teaching at one of the local colleges over here. So, yeah, it's been good. Loving it. Nice, mate. What do you remember from your youth that looking back in hindsight has kind of steered you on to the point you're at today? Oh, yeah, I guess so many different factors influence you day to day without you even actually really reflecting on them too much. And if you look upon your childhood and your upbringing and consider the things that might steer you in certain ways, a couple of things like I obviously had a grandfather who was a teacher and my auntie was a teacher and I never considered it as a career path until I did a degree at university and then ended up landscaping for a couple of years and as whilst I was landscaping digging holes in the rain I was like there's got to be a better career than this and even though I love the summers and I love the practical elements of you know paving and concreting and planting out gardens and things and the sort of sense of reward you get from seeing something you've built and created yeah digging through clay in the rain sucks so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thought oh well, I'm back to study for a little while and and I've been teaching now for 16 years across a couple of different secondary schools and yeah it's it's something that I thoroughly enjoy now epic mate that's that's cool I didn't I didn't realize that you'd gone landscaping for a wee bit 
Where, <laughs> where, where was this clay that you were digging? Oh, look, if you've ever lived in Hamilton, which, yeah, not too many people admit it. I'd spent a bit of time there and, yeah, horrific winters where the fog lifts at 11 and it sets back down at 2 and you're in the rain for most of the day. And, yeah, it's just <laughs> no good, no good. Yeah. Oh, dear. Mate, I want to have a little bit of a talk to you about the Lighthouse Project and kind of the, the genesis of that. So do you want to tell us what it is, first of all? Yeah, sweet. So um, we're a registered charity, but we're not actually a charity in that we are seeking money for ourselves and what we do. It's where our sole purpose is to raise awareness of and funds for grassroots organisations. And it began with, funny enough, you were talking about old guys playing touch and <laughs> getting injured. We, all our kids went to the same daycare and we formed a social touch team from that. And yeah, through that, got to know these boys a little bit better and sort of one of the boys, his, his brother had gone through some really dark patches. And then one of the other boys, his mum had been depressed for a number of years and, and she's sweet now. But yeah, we sort of all just had these shared experiences, whether it was personal via ourselves or through family members of these things going on and one of the boys sort of organized for a couple of us to just catch up for a cold one in the summer and was like look this is the idea I'm floating what do you reckon and so it sort of got just it was just born from there we started meeting every week and then registered ourselves got sponsors on board and then and then launched into yeah 2022 as our major fundraising year awesome bro how did that conversation start? Like, how did this conversation around mental health come up with some dudes in a touch team? Because it's not—it's oh. probably not a common one for nah. most touch teams around New Zealand. No, nah, well, hopefully sooner. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Sooner it'll become so, but no, I don't think so. You're right. Two of the boys had been, they'd known each other for so long and they'd gone to university together. And I guess they just had that really sort of really close friendship where they felt they could be real honest with each other. They probably have for a number of years. And then with me, I've, I've only known the boys for a couple of years, but I guess I'm pretty frank with some of my conversations. And so they might've felt that perhaps, you know, I wasn't going to be judgmental or whatever. And, and so when they first brought me along, they floated the idea. It was just like, cool. I know where these boys are at. And I was able to launch straight into just being honest straight off the bat, which is something I haven't always been in regards to my own mental health. And from there, it was just like, cool. Okay, not cool as in <laughs> we're experiencing it, but cool in the fact that this dude knows what I'm talking about. He might have not experienced it, but at least he's empathetic because he understands the experience via someone else. And from there, it was like, cool, what are we going to do about this? And that's when we launched into thinking about not the, the big charities that already do quite well financially. It was about well, who are these people that are grassroots that maybe men who struggle might actually just reach out to or might utilize their services via going surfing or catching up for a feed or whatever. Because these local ones, they must be struggling for coin. And that's how it sort of yeah, yeah, sort of built from there about, okay, so who are we targeting? Who are we helping? What can we do to help them? How might we sell this concept of grassroots organizations and how might we market it so that corporate sponsors want to jump on board? How will we spread awareness and through what channels? And yeah, just snowballed and we're, <laughs> you know, we all 
come from vastly different career pathways. One's a project manager for an engineering firm, one's a finance manager at a bank, and, and I'm a teacher, and, but it almost became such a, a large part of our lives leading into it has became increasingly busy, but we've just got really supportive wives. So that sort of helped out a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's a massive positive with it. So you're, you guys are looking to support, well, you guys do support a lot of the, the grassroots charities, especially around the regions of New Zealand, sort of more outside of the main centres. Yeah, that, nationwide, yeah. Yeah, epic. And when you were like, when you were thinking about kind of fundraising opportunities mm. for this, like, what did you what did you brainstorm before you came up with that with the grand scheme? Oh, they sort of floated the idea of a couple of different things, like just visiting different oceans, hitting the different geographic points, and it's all like, yeah, cool. But it wasn't until we sort of thinking about the actual symbolism of what a lighthouse is and the fact that it's you know designed its core role is to offer awareness and safety right and once we started figuring that out it's like okay so where are lighthouses actually located and they're around a lot of these remote areas around New Zealand and so we thought all right let's tick off as many of these we can and set them out of time and it was really important to us while we're doing this fundraising tour that it wasn't perceived as a road trip or a holiday it had to be a test and thus we tried to push through 6,600 kilometers in 12 days coast to coast and yeah north to south so it was it was fantastic met a lot of wicked people out there in the communities that are doing just outrageously good things off their own backs and that in itself was probably one of the highlights just the lift of seeing the energy that people put into their fellow people and what they're willing to do for others and it was just like this we live in a mean country Aotearoa is full of really good people and yeah that was a highlight yeah yeah and when you start talking to them yeah you do get to know how great a lot how many great people there are out there as well so you guys had it was four dudes in a camper van hitting how many lighthouses around New Zealand did you go to uh we had 24 in the end 24 over how many days 12 days 12 days yeah. um, with a bunch of stops for conversations with local charities and people who run local charities as well thrown in there yeah yeah and just meeting yeah all sorts of people along the road so when we began you know we had an understanding of the organizations that were out there and that we were going to support and then as soon as we sort of even just began on the road people were reaching out to us and saying, oh, have you heard of these guys? This is what they do and try and catch up with them. So we had, you know, extras popping up on the daily and sort of, it was just so increasingly busy. You know, for instance, we did Nelson to the Crown Range in Queenstown in a day with, you know, three different meetings with different organisations and, and things. But it just had to push through. It was like 900 Ks and all that, 21 hours it was necessary just to meet these people, get through that aspect of the journey because we were booked out the next day as well. So we just had to push through, yeah. Yeah. How how was the discomfort around that? Four sweaty dudes in a camper van, not a whole lot of sleep, trying <laughs> to keep to a, a very tight schedule while you're trying to fit other stuff in there as well. Oh, look, you just, 
you learn more and more about yourself, the, the different sorts of pressures you apply to yourself and, and the different circumstances you put yourself into. And you learn more about yourself and each other. And, and there's definitely some moments where there wasn't a lot of chat going on in the camper van. But I oh, look, people are good and, and you sort of move things, move through things pretty quickly, especially when you've got a common goal. Yeah. Yeah. What were what were some of the revelations that you had about yourself on the trip? So, you know what, like the more I talked about, because obviously people want to know why you're doing it. And mm. so you, you sort of goes against everything we're brought up to, to feel about ourselves and to, and that when these people were actually asking, like, how are you and what are you up to? You have to be honest. And so the more I guess I practice that, the more I'm comfortable talking about it and the more you do reflect on what is it that put me there? What is it that got me out of it? What are the things that I need to maintain? One of the, what are the things that I can look to explore as I move forward about myself and my balance and things like that. So I guess, yeah, having that like forced reflection, I suppose, because you're constantly having to reevaluate yourself and, and your relationships and the way you interact with others just because you're having to share it was that was probably one of the greatest learning experiences for me personally anyway yeah and coming out in the back of that do you find that you have been you've been sharing more and talking more and reflecting more because of what you went through on that trip yeah I guess whether that was you know through different media outlets and going through that interview process and then meeting the organizations and then meeting people from those organizations and then you know, your friends check in on oh, no, how's things going. And and that has been such a shift in the dynamics of friendships that I have, having seen what we've done and, and listening to me. Like I'm generally like 99% of the time happy go lucky, pretty relaxed, love a good laugh. But to for them to hear, I guess, that I've struggled at times has sort of let them go, yeah, no shit things aren't that good for me sometimes too and and you sort of yeah I'm a firm believer in this if you begin to role model that honesty that honesty sort of comes out in others because you've set that level of comfort you hope yeah and so yeah yeah I think like with conversations like this some people have to go first and the people that go first show that it's safe and that it's okay for for everyone else and I think for for people who are in a I guess in a privileged position, mm. it's it's easier for us to go first because yeah. we've we've been through some of uh, some stuff like this and and understood it. And I think then you almost start to to have a responsibility to kind of lead the way for some other people. And and leading the way looks different for for everybody. It's not it's not jumping in a camper van and driving <laughs> driving around New Zealand. It's not hosting a podcast. It's not doing a speech after the UFC like mm, we, we mm. were talking about before. But I think those the, those people that have the willingness to go first, I think are, are really, really valuable. And another thing I think as well, like we're, we're two, I guess, as you said, like reasonably laid back Kiwi guys yeah. who have both had mental health challenges over, over our lives. And a lot of other dudes that I've talked to that, like if, if you look at them from the outside, You'd think, oh, that guy's that guy's sweet. He's just chill. Everything's everything's a okay. 
but you don't see what's happening below the surface and you don't see what's what's really going on behind the scenes for this for this dude and i think like that's probably why we have one of the like as dudes in new zealand it's i think one of the reasons that that we do have such a high rate of of mental health challenges is that we look at everyone else and like we're probably reasonably typical Kiwi dudes in terms of Mm -hmm. kind of how we look from the outside. And if all you see is that, yeah, then you're like, Oh bro, something, something's off with me. If I feel this way and everyone else around me is like, like those guys. So Luke, I, I think it might be like, now might be a really good time to have a talk about the challenges that you've been through from yes, a mental health right. perspective, you open to that? Yeah, 100%. Cool, 100%. right. And I think like sharing my own, even now when you go to share it, like as happy as I am to, there is a, for me, it's almost like an instant sense of guilt because you automatically think that you haven't been through something tough enough to feel this way. Mm. And for me personally, I like I was, I've been honest the whole time I've chatted with people, I didn't have this significant traumatic experience that unfortunately a lot of people experience and go through. And I didn't have back-to-back days where it was just the, the grind was bringing, bring me down sort of thing. For me, it was for one, the one instance that really broke me was just something really minor in my career path that for anyone else, I assume, look, this is one of those assumptions, right? When I say for everyone else, they'd be like, sweet ass, let's get on with it. And and maybe I'm wrong in assuming that. But for me, it's sort of like, it, it just struck me. So what happened was I just completed my master's and had done really well. And if I'm, yeah, if I'm going to be honest, I haven't probably faced enough hardships in my life in regards to testing my own resilience maybe. But in this circumstance, I'd felt like I'd done everything in my career leading up to this certain point, including going above and beyond with cross-curricular, co-curricular, all the elements within education to get to that part. I thought, well, right, when this job comes up, you know, um, it's, it's a sure thing. Not a sure thing, but, you know, a good chance. So anyway, I went through this position and I missed out on this position. And that wasn't the part that broke me because I had a good chat about it and I was like, sweet, now I know that to get to this, I have to do this, right? And because I I feel like I'm a reasonable person in regards to I can see steps and I can know what I have to achieve before I can achieve that sort of thing. So once that was there, I was like, okay. And then I went for that one and which was like a step below and I missed out on that and I didn't get feedback about that and it was during my exit interview for the topper the not the topper that doesn't make any sense for the higher role that I was sort of told look this is what you need to do you need to be going for this and that's the bit that broke me the fact that it had been pointed out as something I should be doing and then I missed out and I didn't get an answer and that was just like I've just committed so many years to this this pathway it's all fallen over and I was pissed but that anger sort of went away but the the darkness that came with it didn't 
And I just thought I was processing it and I was like, my temper was short. I was finding it really a real struggle to sort of get motivated for things. But I thought it was just a phase or whatever. And it wasn't until I had a visit from my father-in-law and he come across for the weekend and we had some good yarns and stuff. And whether my wife had talked to him or not, I'm not sure. But when he left, he you know, said, good boys, da, da, da. and then he rang me back later that night. I was, I was really confused because I'd just seen him. I thought maybe he's left something in my house, but he rang me up and he goes, you know, look, how's it going? I said, mate, you've just, you've just left. <laughs> you know, things are, things are good. You know? And he's like, no, 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 look, I know what's going on. And it was like just someone to see that in me to force myself to be honest. And I was like, fuck, mate, no, you're right. No, I'm not good. And yeah, that was like the turning point as in recognizing my own behaviors that I was displaying that, yeah, weren't positive. You know, that, that's the short temper with the kids, the, the distancing myself from colleagues and friends, the pulling away from probably some of that physical activity that I know keeps me balanced and well. And that sort of, you know, that was just one instance like that really sort of brought everything to the forefront, I suppose, of conscious thought. A lot of these things occur without really consideration. And that sort of brought everything to the front. It was like, okay, these are the things I need to deal with right here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate That's that. Right. And like, I think it's, it's so true. Like as, especially as Kiwi guys, we're, we're habituated when someone says, how are you? Like, oh, mm. you're good. Oh, not bad. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like the point that you made about, I could be honest with myself then is that I think that often we tell ourselves that as well. It's like, yeah. I'm sweet. I'm good. I'm okay. I'll just keep pushing, keep pushing through and something will, something will happen. But like the, the fact that your father-in-law asked you that question allowed you to be open and honest with yourself, first of all, mm. which then kind of opens the door for, oh shit. Yeah. What do I need to do about this now? Yeah. And what did you do about it? Oh, yeah, like he just called me on my own shit story. <laughs> he knew. And that's why we called our tour the Sweet Nah Tour. The Lighthouse Project about the fact that when you hit each other up and you're like, oh, sweet. It's like, well, actually, nah, I'm not sweet. Honestly. So what do I do about it? Man, I started chatting. Like when people, I made a conscious decision from that point that if anyone was going to ask, I was going to be honest. And so when I went back, caught up with some colleagues and they helped me. They knew, you know, because I, I wasn't hanging about. I wasn't wanting to spend a lot of time with people, shooting off. They knew that something was wrong. And so when they asked, I was like, nah, I'm not. I'm processing this because it sucks. This didn't work out. And like even talking to you now, it seemed so trivial. And some people will be like, what is this dude whinging about? And, and I'll be the first to admit, I would never have thought something so minor could just, just rock my world. And yet it did. And so you just... Yeah, I never perceived or thought that something like that could shift my mentality so quickly and so easily. But getting out of it, sort of, that first thing was about, man, 100%, just be honest, because 
we do have this thing of if you're asking someone how they are, not often you're prepared to hear the answer you don't want to hear, right? So we instantly, as society, if we hear, oh, now my day sucks, you're like, oh, come on, man, shut up. <laughs> be yeah. positive, right? Don't be a dick. But yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's the reality, but that's not the way we move forward. And so yeah. it was about, like, first of all, be honest with myself <laughs> and others. Be willing to, to listen. Don't jump straight into a judgment. And then that was that whole conversation aspect. But then the, the flip side of that was, what are the things that make me happy? What are the things that balance me, I guess, or or keep me on an even keel? And that for me will be different for others. But for me, that was definitely a saltwater therapy, whether that's spearfishing, surfing, fishing, you know, whatever, just getting in the ocean, being active, so whether that's on a social touch team or or any of those sports or you know going for runs, being active with the kids, yeah, all those sorts of things. And you know, yeah, this is following a slightly different path. Just with you do some of this educational research, and they talk about this um, this attention restorative theory around the fact that we're constantly caught up in days where we are consciously making decisions that we go under a state of decision fatigue. We're we find it really hard to make decisions or decisions that benefit us. And so it looks at what are the things that make us react without consciously reacting. And so they call it that sense of wonder, those moments where you're like, oh, that was cool. And so a lot of those activities that I've identified are those moments that provide that, those moments of wonder, whether it's catching a wave or finding a fish to shoot or whatever, those things that you can't predict, those things that you can't forecast or make I don't know, real conscious decisions around. I think there's a close tie there. But yeah, I think being honest and returning to the things I love, that were the things that sort of helped me a lot in that little process out of it. Nice, man. And from a like from a neuroscience perspective, that that sense of awe, that sense of wonder that you get as well. What what that does is that switches off something called the default mode network in your brain. And the default mode network is like when you're kind of hanging out in self-absorbed thought. Mm. Not always negative, but like you know that like when the voice is running through your head, probably eight times out of ten, yeah. it's not that positive yeah. for you. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a bit yeah. of why did you do that for? and so on so that yeah switching switching that off and and getting into a state of awe or getting into a state of wonder or gratitude is that's what it looks like from the the neuroscience perspective as well so it's cool to hear about it from the educational perspective as well yeah yeah i just it's it's always interesting to me just so i clung to that once i heard about it i was like yeah that makes just so much sense there's little things that you see or hear or experience that just make you smile right it might be something as simple as that those are the things that sort of push everything else out of the way instantly without even trying. Mm. And so I guess if you can expose yourself to as many moments in a day that provide an opportunity for wonder or a release, then. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, like when you start to look for it as well, you're, you're able to see more of it. Like yeah, with just with kids as well. 
sometimes you're like, oh, just put on your pants, come on. But then, and you get really frustrated with it. But then if you just flip your perspective slightly and say, like, this kid is learning how to put on his pants and just like <laughs> laugh at him. And it, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing just to watch, just with a quick perspective shift. Yeah, uh, to go absolutely. from frustra- frustration to to wonder as well, and like where I live in Wellington, we're super lucky that there are just so many birds around. Like we go up to my parents' place in Hawkes Bay, and they're like, "Oh, there's a tui on the fence over there," and it's like fifty <laughs> meters away. And I'm like, <laughs> I sit on my back deck in Wellington, and I can see twenty of them, like within <laughs> three meters. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's pretty cool like when you start paying attention to even just kind of stuff that's around you that is that allows you that sense of wonder. Like you're in Tauranga at the moment. I'm in Wellington. We're sitting here having a conversation over the internet after probably not having a conversation in a couple of decades. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Oh, mate, it's unreal, unreal. Right. When you, one, one thing that I want to pull on a little bit and, and kind of pick at is the, how you said this was something small that tipped me over the edge. And I, like, obviously it kind of, it, it, it had a big effect on you and mm. you felt that it was small at the time. Like looking back at the moment, like, do you still feel some guilt or around that that was something that happened when like a whole lot of other people go through really oh, big dude, traumatic absolutely, stuff absolutely like i'm still embarrassed to think about how i might have reacted or whatever but man you got you got to experience these emotions and it's no hiding from them and yeah and and i and i can't explain to anyone who's out there listening or that i've met who might have been through something so horrific and just bounce back about why they've been able to do that and why something in my eyes was so small yet just like, yeah, it's, it's, I still can't put into words an appropriate explanation as to why I reacted a certain way to something like that as opposed to other people might, you know, it'd be so minor perhaps, you know, I just, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's like there's there's people out there that have unfortunately been through some really really tough stuff and mm. like and, and have some mental health challenges. But I think probably the the bulk of people that face mental health challenges haven't been through anything like ridiculously ridiculously hard or really really traumatic. And these these things happen to everybody. Mm. And I think like. If you were to go through a similar situation now, it probably wouldn't affect you. No. In, in no, look. nearly the same way. And maybe if you had were to go through something similar 10 years before then or five years before then as well, it may not have affected you the same way as well. Like everything happens kind of within a within a context, and, and that context changes over the course of our lives as well, based on yeah. all of the other stuff that's going yeah. on around us. And like Obviously, now you have have more skills than you than you did then. But like it's, I think we we do ourselves a disservice when we have a reaction like that, and then we we almost belittle ourselves. Yeah, with it. Yeah, because it was it's something that's happened, and it's happened for some reason. Mm. And like, there's so much 
there's so much stuff that goes on with our bodies that we don't know a reason for. Yeah, 100%. And like we know heaps more than we knew 50 years ago, but in 50 years time, we'll look back and we're like, oh, these guys were just in the dark. So like there might've been a whole lot, a whole raft of other stuff that you had going on at that point in time as well that kind of helped to trigger the reaction. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it's like, I mean, other times in life where I guess the, the shadows have crept in or the black dogs crept in a little bit. And one that I've talked about with others is when, when a man becomes a father for the first time, for me personally, you, you shift from a guy who doesn't have too many responsibilities to someone who is not only then responsible for their spouse and their well-being during a testing time, and it, whether that's financial or whatever, but also the fact that you've got this person, you know, this young being that you are ultimately responsible to ensure that they're safe and warm and well-fed and and not only that, that you're setting them up for the right pathway and that you're making the right choices about you know, the myriad of things that come up on a daily basis. And, and that was another time where it was just like, holy shit, this is just so overwhelming. Um, and the pressure was coming from no one but yourself. You, you yeah. talk yourself into this sort of state of like wanting to, to do your best by the people that you invest in and that you feel you're responsible for. And, and they are certainly not applying the pressure. Well, they may or may not, but, you know, it wasn't my case, but it was just the fact that you just lump and you just put it all on your back. And, and that was another time where you can feel it coming in. And that was a different circumstance altogether. And, and the way I cope with that was a, was a whole different way as well. It was, it was no quick way out of that one because some of the things that bring me wonder in my day-to-day existence now certainly weren't as available as often when you've got a newborn because you can't just shoot off and go diving for a day or spend a lot of time surfing or whatever. And so I had to shift or change my behaviours then to sort of make sure that I wasn't going to head down too much of a dark space. Yeah. What were what were helpful shifts for you at that point? For me then, one of the, the best things was, and it sort of was forgive the pun, born out of the circumstance that I was in, right? It was the fact that I had this, particularly with my first boy who just didn't believe that sleep was important and like phenomenal. And so we were doing five-hour shifts a night where the other person just wasn't allowed to be woken up for five hours and we just rotated for the night and then carried on throughout the day. But it was that whole scenario of, and, and a lot of people experience this, they get home from work if they are the one out that work. And it's almost like at the door, here you go. <laughs> and it's jury. And for me, I'm really fortunate because I was, I was teaching and that might occur at like four o'clock rather than a lot of people who unfortunately might have to work until six or whatever. So that was like generally late afternoon, maybe sleep slash witching hour. And the one thing that I knew helped was chuck the young fella on my front and walk for an hour or two, or whatever it took to just calm him down, but also to give my wife a break at home and, and just, just reset the evening or the afternoon. And it was during that, man, I just chuck him in the front, chuck a rain jacket on or whatever, and I just walk. And, and it was during those moments where, yeah, he might cry for the first 15, 20 minutes, whatever, but eventually he'd settle. And then most times he'd fall asleep. 
and it was like I just accomplished something, you know. And I and, and at the same time, I'm walking and having that time, that bonding time, and a time to reflect and think about the day. But it's thinking about the day and reflecting from a, a positive point because you, you've got that connection, you've got that, you've accomplished something. If even if it's as simple as you got him to sleep, like that is a massive win. <laughs> and reflecting about that from a positive standing point was just one of the things that I was like, okay, from now on, I'm just going to walk him and I'll chuck him on my front or my back or in the push chair until however old he becomes, but that'll be one of my things. And yeah, that helped a lot. Yeah. I feel you on the, the babies that don't like to sleep. It's a, it's a good one. We, we also did the, did the shift work. And for me, I think what was, what was helpful then as well as that, trying to find a little bit of space for myself as well. It's, it was, yeah. Work, kids, no sleep, bit of sleep, <laughs> kids, work, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for a while there, like while we were doing shifts in the night, I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'd go to the gym Yeah, and I'd just go and move move stuff around for 45 minutes and then come home for six o'clock for the kids yeah. to get up but just having that period of time where yep. like it was just me i could move my body and i just i just created some space where i the only responsibility was me yeah that was all i had um and i would turn on like some weird country music band that I found. <laughs> I was sort of just crank this up as I did stuff. Yes. The Dead South, if anyone is interested. Um, oh, I yeah, don't no, know I've why I like them, them, but they are good. Yeah, no, I've heard of them. They're good. And so what's the, what's the plan with the Lighthouse Project moving forward, Luke? Like, where do you, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing now that you have completed your tour around the lighthouses of New Zealand? Yeah, sweet. So our... Uh... Like we had this target of trying to hit 100k and we didn't quite get there, but our initial push got just over 50 grand. And I guess we're in this really comfortable position right now where we've sent the grant applications out to those organizations just so they can identify what it is they need and how we might best help them. And so that's a really cool experience that we're going through at the moment is because we shined a light on who they were and what they were able to accomplish and what their goals were for the communities. But now we're actively now just going, you guys are awesome. Here's five grand, here's 10 grand. So that's the process we're going through at the moment. On the back end of that, the Thames Rugby Club were outstanding. They had a jersey day for us, charity day. And the players in their community were unreal throughout the afternoon and evening, went through this jersey auction. And look, I, we turned up helping out and having a cold one with the players and the, and, the, and the staff and things. And my expectation was, man, if we walked away with 500 bucks and we also got those, you know, because there was two teams, those 40-something players thinking about mental health in a different way, then that's a massive win, right? And we couldn't believe it that the, the auction started and one of the young fellas that I'd coached and, and played against when he was a bit younger, He's just come out of the Hurricanes squad. So he had put up this Hurricanes jersey and it went for 1700 bucks, the first jersey. And then it just, first Thames jersey came up and it went for $700. And you're like, holy moly, this has just exceeded 
all of our expectations within eight minutes. Yeah. And that ended up raising close to 16 grand over the evening. And so, yeah, we, we pulled this 50 something together for these organizations via our Give a Little and our corporate sponsors. But then in one afternoon, we were able to you know, achieve this just by the generosity of that Thames community. And so that there has been set aside for, there's some grassroots ones that have just started up recently within the Bay region. And the, the concept heading forward at this stage for the next couple of months anyway, is to look to support the smaller ones that are opening up because I guess the real danger of anything is if you just create the one model, sometimes it's only going to fit a certain percentage of the population because not everyone wants to go sit through a therapy session. Not everyone wants to go sit down and have a feed with people and talk about it. So all of these organisations that we're looking to help offer a different perspective and a different means to address what it is that people need to chat about and to, to work through. And, and so one of the things is to support those smaller ones that are starting up. The second thing is we're looking to create a more specific nationwide registry, registry of organisations that people can reach out to to find something that they might need. And whether that's a young fellow called Christian Reed, he runs this one, Lucky to Be Alive, where he takes guys out who are in their 20s and takes them on like little adventures via rock climbing or abseiling or whitewater rafting, things that put people outside their comfort zones, increase their heart rates. And But it's for that age group and that's that group and that sort of person. And that's not going to suit everyone. So if we can create a registry of all these organizations that offer these different things in these different ways, then you know, if I'm someone who's struggling or I know of someone who's struggling, I can find something that probably going to best suit them and best help them in, the, in their time of need. And so that's sort of what the Lighthouse is looking at going forward. And then next year, whether or not we do another tour sort of depends on our wives, but <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> at this stage going to be shorter than the 12 days because we all came back to manic workloads, kids that had missed us, lawns that had overgrown and wives that sort of needed to have some space themselves. So <laughs> yeah, that was a one-off length. Yeah, it might be like might be kind of Olympic cycle. Yeah. Every every four <laughs> years you do that one. <laughs> awesome, man. That's and that's really, really cool. And I think like your your point on there's no one size fits all approach with health or mental health. Like everyone responds to different things and everyone gets value out of different things. And yeah, like heaps of people are going to get value out of a therapy session, 100%. but some, some more than others. Yeah. And some not at all. And, and like we were talking about as well as like at different points in your life, you're going to get value from, from different things as well. So I think kind of bringing that visibility to all of these people who are out there who are doing absolutely fantastic work and being able to almost like what Tinder for mental health is that you can kind of swipe on the one that you swipe on the one that you want. I don't know. I've never used Tinder, so I don't, I don't know what it's all about. <laughs> I'm not sure how you explain this away with your wife. <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, nice bro. One, one the other thing that I was interested in as well is that like, you being in this space and you obviously being quite visible around the, the mental health, mental well-being space, how have your students responded to that? And have you had any conversations? Has it sparked some conversations there as well? Yeah, like for a number of years though, I've, 
like for instance we created this document at the kids access and it was like a school version of instagram but it, you, you were posting a photo and a comment or something you're grateful for in a day so you're not trying to show off a holiday you're not trying to brag about something it could be as simple as you know the sun <laughs> like i'm just grateful that we've had a day of sunshine this july but so i've always been keen to share my concepts of what mental health can look like in regards to what are some of the things that we can do to sort of recenter ourselves or restart the day and so in regards to the lighthouse project they're aware of it and they've talked about it but it's not something that i put too much in my classroom or within my schools but man we have conversations daily with different students about different things and it might not be called mental health and you know there's always going to be well i hope not there's always going to be but there is a stigma still attached to it and a lot of young people aren't going to be in a position to be confident enough to say yeah i'm struggling with this element my mental health needs work whatever but there are a lot of young people who are going man i'm struggling with this i don't know how to bracket it or label it but we yeah and, and you, if you talk to any teacher out there, particularly within the last three years, it's, it's huge. We have a declining attendance rate nationwide. We have increasing anxiety, you know, and the, the circumstances of COVID have certainly drawn to the fore and increased that, that fear that already exists within teenagers, particularly around social and interactions and anxiety. So... More needs to be done. How we approach it is still, if people are still playing catch up themselves on how they feel about having to go to work with these things going on. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to see that it is like front and center of conversation. Yeah. Now, so at least like when we were at school, <laughs> what was mental health? Yeah. Oh, I just think back to some of the things we used to call each other. and <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> if anyone from school is listening and got stuck into you one time, apologies. Yeah, I think I've apologized to most people that you just catch up with at weddings or, you know, you're like, look, sorry, man, if I said something. Da, da, da. But yeah, it's certainly a different state of society then. And man, you look back to the way you look, I can't speak for you, but the way you brought up with your, like my father and then his father. And it's, you know, we're, we're getting better and we're getting more aware and we're becoming more open, but we're not there yet. They certainly weren't there, but you know, like uh, this whole thing, I've been able to have honest conversations with my dad and that's been, that's been cool. You know, yes. Yeah. And he's been honest and that's been remarkable. You know, he's come from a dad who is, you know, ex-war, right? And so feelings aren't something men feel. So to have that change and there's those subtle shifts in what is seen as appropriate and not is, has been cool. Yeah. That's epic, man. And that's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And to think that like this is happening within a generation mm. as well these com these conversations and then these shifts are like it feels like hard work while you're in it and it feels like it takes a long time but to kind of look at the the 20 years from when we were yeah in the position that these kids were in to now yeah. and the like the the shift and 
awareness of it and the shift in, in resource around it as well to as to how we can do it better and like it's mm. still it's still a problem and it's still a challenge and there's still a lot of work to go but like i'm 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 optimistic about it i think oh dude 100 i think the way i talk to my son now is hopefully opening up a, a sustained pathway of honesty and and self-reflection and just a, a greater connection about what's real and what isn't real, you know, and then if I can do that, then, you know, hopefully he grows up to be this great young man who maybe doesn't call his mate <laughs> a certain, <laughs> certain name or whatever. And then if his mate's struggling or he's struggling, he can be hundred percent honest with him. And, and from that, hopefully we see that devastating statistic that New Zealand has dissipate. Right. Yeah. Mm. indeed man Luke if people want to check out the Lighthouse Project or find out more about you guys like where's the best place for them to do that oh probably the easiest way is Instagram Lighthouse Project NZ and if you jump on there have a look I think we've just reinstated the give a little page for our next drive heading the future but that's got our links to our YouTube and, and social media but yeah Reach out if you want and have it and check us out. There are so many cool organizations that do similar things. So don't be afraid just to stick to us and look for us. There's men, mental health and then there's for all the brothers, a pretty cool one. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah. So check those other guys out. They're pretty yeah. cool. Awesome, man. And I'll link all of those up in the notes for the, the episode as well. Luke, I want to ask you a couple of questions that I, I like to finish on with people. The first one is it's now what ways do you go about proactively building your capacity for challenge probably one of the best things for me is is putting myself outside of my comfort zone like knowing actively going to do that you know so in recent years i've been trying to like run a little bit further so i know that every time i push myself to a point where i'm in exertion or i'm struggling to breathe certainly some of these other things shift out of your mind but also you learn more and more about yourself and what you're able to accomplish or or deal with so that's probably been one of the, the biggest things for me personally is is knowing that was my limit but that what that is in the past I'm, I'm stronger than that now and being open to doing it again but going a bit further or whatever and I think yeah it's it's easy to be comfortable in life and it's easy to fall into a, what can be perceived as routine, but can also be perceived as a rut. And I know that contradicts a lot of people when they talk about the fact that routine is actually one of the key things to get you out of a dark space. But I think there's a balance between getting yourself out of something, but also preventing yourself from falling back in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that that statement as well as i think it's routine is is really valuable but you can have routine and then you can also add a little bit of of stretch in there as well spice it up yeah yeah yeah. sprinkle something (laughs) on the top mate do you have any helpful frameworks that you use to when you're approaching a challenge oh so let's say that it's you know I'm, i'm going through a bit of a challenge with work at the moment and for me it's i've got to chip away like I, at university, maybe I could have stayed up the night before and got it all done and, and, and scraped through, but that's not helping me. And so 
for me personally, if it's something that I know is going to be a challenge mentally or physically, it's about getting started as soon as possible, taking that first step, whether it's sit down and get some planning done straight away, whether that's, man, it's raining and I'm trying, I've got to train for a run coming up, but it's raining and cold. Just put some shoes on and go get wet. You can always come home for a hot shower, but it's it's getting making sure I take that first. Don't listen to yourself sometimes about, nah, sweet as, do it tomorrow or whatever, because that's when you sort of might fall back into a pattern of, yeah, taking things too easy, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you keep yourself healthy now? What do you do on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis? There's several different things, right? Because to keep myself physically healthy, you know, like, man, trying to eat some good foods throughout the week. So it's try to stay away from the takeaways and trying to ensure that I'm getting the good fuels within me. And then the flip side of that is trying to ensure that I'm getting some sort of exertion. So whether that's a run or a swim or a surf or whatever, but then it's also important for me, like, man, get rid of devices before bedtime. I'm not saying everyone needs to become a reader, but I'm in, I love reading. The fact that I'm able to shut my book and everything else is gone because of just being experiencing a different world via this text. But I think it's really important to get off the, the social media and the devices before bedtime because I feel like that can be, for some people, that, that little trigger for a spiral and do that before sleep time is is pretty poor because sometimes it sort of manifests itself as lack of sleep or things like that. And then it's the that well-being cup, right? And for me, one of the biggest things I've tried to do in a, the last sort of 24 months at least is acts of service, like doing things for others, not because you're asked to, not to, because you're told to, but because you want to. And seeing the the positive outcomes for them is so rewarding for yourself that it becomes a little bit addictive, like going out of your way to improve someone else's day to can shift your whole psyche for the week. Yeah. So yeah, there's different elements reaching out to mates. But yeah. So that well-being in physical health and mental health, and there's so many different little pieces to that puzzle. Eh? As, as you were talking about before, right? Yeah. It's all connected and they all feed back into each other as well. So mm. no, it's awesome to hear how you do it, mate. And thank you so much for coming in, getting uncomfortable with me today. It's been amazing to, to have a chat with you about what you've been up to. No worries. Hey, thanks so much for reaching out and certainly envious of what's in the Wellington water. Hey, eh? you look about 22. And- Bro, it is <laughs> freezing. It's like 12 <laughs> degrees. So it's cold water therapy every time you get in. <laughs> I'm gonna move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ice bath. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome, bro. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. I always love these conversations. If you want to have a, hear a guest, if you want to have a topic explored, if you want to ask a question, please send an email to Chris at healthmentors.nz. Uh, and we can get onto that for you. If you want to support the show, the best way that you can do that is subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure to share it out with some of your mates as well. Thank you to Health Mentors, the sponsor of the show today. If you want to improve your health and your performance in the middle of a chaotic world, make sure to check out healthmentors.nz or send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz for a no-obligation chat, 
Thank you so much to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music to the show. And thank you to you guys for tuning in and listening all the way to the end. We'll see you all again next week.